You're listening to Irish Radio Canada at Home and Abroad and uh, this week in uh, Ottawa there was a, a delegation uh, from Ireland who came as part of the relationship between Canada and Ireland. There is an inter-parliamentary group in Canada and James Maloney heads that up, a uh, member of parliament. And in Ireland there is actually a similar group of people. And I have John Curran with me and John is a Finney Fall member for Dublin Midwest. John, thanks a million for coming along for a chat. Not all, you're welcome, Austin. Lovely to be here. So you're here in Canada's capital and you've come from Ireland's capital and the relationship between Canada and Ireland is long and deepening and between uh, CETA now and the interparliamentary groups. How do you, as a member of the Irish government, see this relationship evolving? Well, and when I said the government, I mean the Oireachtas yeah. in, in its entirety. Well, I suppose I, the first thing is I step back a little bit in time. Um, there are very strong and historic links between the two countries, and there are very good relationships between the countries. And I suppose over the more recent decades, there has been a bit of complacency where we haven't act proactively engaged with each other for no particular reason. Um, in recent years, I suppose, uh, from an Irish point of view, because of the challenges that we're facing with Brexit and uh, Canada, with its own challenges with trade agreements with North America um, we have a lot in common and it's in that context that relationships have intensified between uh, the two countries and that's at a formal level uh, ministerial context uh, there have been quite a number of official visits over the last year or two and at parliamentary uh, level which I'm here on today um, there haven't been as many as there probably should have been, uh, but we have a lot of issues that are common to us, and it's in that context, uh, in terms of uh, particularly around trade, uh, how that might uh, develop over the coming years. And these uh, parliamentary groups like this are an opportunity in an informal way to have discussions uh, that helps formulate thinking as we uh, develop our own plans. Now, when you say formulate thinking, um, that is bilateral because when you sit around be at a committee table or when you get to speak in the, in the house and vice versa when the Canadian members do the same naturally the information you've been able to gather the relationship you've been able to build are going to colour your whole concept on how policy should develop yeah very much so um, and that's, that's the, important of, uh, the importance of uh, parliamentary groups that you get to, to I suppose meet uh, parliamentarians informally as well as the formal uh, meetings but the informal uh, sessions are really really important where you talk about what's going on in the country what are the challenges how are you addressing issues and from like I'm here as an Irish person I'm looking at the opportunities that exist in Canada from an Irish perspective what more enterprise Ireland can do uh, not just for our big multinational companies but for smaller companies in terms of innovation research and development what are the challenges but what are the opportunities that would be available in Canada I'm also uh, talking to colleagues you know about uh, how they might address Ireland uh, the opportunities that might exist in Ireland, particularly uh, Canadian companies that might like to establish a foothold into the EU, who want to diversify from being very heavily dependent on trade to the US, who might want to look at the EU and how many uh, companies have established bases in Ireland, some of them have their uh, either global or European headquarters based in Ireland, allowing them an access to the EU. So they're, the, I suppose, the big areas that we're looking at um, in terms of trying to formulate policy. Uh, and Canada is very, you know, has been, I suppose, very good to Ireland and often in an informal way that we don't pay an awful lot of heed to. Um, we had a very, very significant uh, recession in Ireland 
where you know we lost hundreds of thousands of jobs people were unemployed and not all of these people were unemployed with no skills it was quite the opposite mm -hmm. there was a good skill base during the years of the height of the recession uh, 10,000 people a year were coming to Canada mm -hmm. and coming in a very productive way and it was, there was mutual uh, agreement on it in the sense that Irish people needed the work and the Canadian economy needed skilled workers so you know there was mutual uh, benefit to be achieved there um, and that was done I, you know a lot of it was done more informally uh, so the relationships between the two countries are very very strong now deputy historically of course that has been the case insofar as during the 80s when I came um, it was a major recession in Ireland around that period and again Canada welcomed uh, the Irish uh, if we look back in history Canada welcomed the Irish when other ports closed against them yeah. uh, and yet traditionally Canada has not been seen by the Irish um, establishment as really a strong home for the Irish even though it's very much so and I think that was a mistake mm -hmm. um, one in seven or one in eight uh, Canadians would say they're of Irish descent in mm -hmm. one form or another um, what you talk about in terms of history um, there were hundreds of thousands of Irish people in Canada before the famine and as many again came during the, the famine period which is I, I won't confine it to a year or two mm -hmm. but over that period and you're, you're right uh, ships coming uh, across the Atlantic um, because people were in poor health because there was disease uh, people were dying um, on that journey out of Ireland uh, many of the ports were closed to those ships and people disembarked in Canada now not all stayed in Canada mm -hmm. they moved on in various ways but Canada played a very very significant role uh, for those like the population over the population of Ireland halved uh, between people who emigrated and people who died during the period of the, the famine but certainly Canada played a huge role I think a lot of people don't realize uh, that you know the ports of call were Canadian ports of call mm -hmm. during that period yes and I know from my own experience when being home at times uh, depending on where in the country there's an awareness of the pre-famine travel to Canada um, and at times in a way not as much awareness of actually the famine period that Ireland uh, that Canada was the home for many that uh, many perceived that they went to the US well I suppose they did go to the US but what people don't realize it was, is it was that, that, that they actually went to the US uh, via Canada and uh -huh. um, that that, uh, that was the, the sailing the shipping route uh, was to Canada and the, the US ports many of them just simply weren't open to, to allow those ships to dock and uh, people to disembark and move on so they, they came during the famine period to Canada that was their port of call uh, and it, it is a point in our history that isn't I suppose widely recognized and probably should be Deputy there's a topic I want to cover in depth at some stage but not today and that is that the electoral system in Ireland is proportional representation and the Canadian government are considering uh, various options in proportional representation and um, at some point I, I do intend focusing more thoroughly on it but as uh, an elected member from multi-seat constituency um, as distinct from what we have here how do you rate the two systems well they're completely different I suppose first past the post as I call it mm -hmm. uh, you know the system and we would see it in our nearest country in the British politics um, I suppose they're, they're very very different um, 
the first of all is the, the, the system itself and the count and the transfers um, it, it probably more accurately reflects the will of the people mm-hmm. um, in, the, in the sense of who gets elected because you don't just vote number one you know you're going to elect in a constituency three, four or five members of parliament uh, so you go down through your preferences and as those preferences are distributed uh, the candidates who become the members of parliament for that area are probably a better reflection of the will of the people than is the case in first past the post uh, depending on the number of candidates you have in a constituency uh, you don't you know the person who gets first past the post doesn't have to have 50 percent mm-hmm. you know so it's completely different from the point of view of a practicing politician mm-hmm. uh, it does mean that you're kept on your toes in your constituency right. because you have other colleagues uh, you know representing the, the people in that area whereas in first past the post you're you it, cons- you're it. Um, now I'm not saying that re-election is any easier but there is a different dynamic uh, right. you know when there's a public meeting or there's an issue of substantial concern uh, and there's a meeting to deal with it and politicians are invited you have three or four colleagues who have the same job as you have uh, in first class the post that isn't the case you have one member of parliament you might have other local politicians but it is a different dynamic um, I suppose I'm used to it uh, I find first class the post an unusual scenario mm-hmm. in the sense that it probably isn't as electorally democratic in the sense of the person who's voting uh, is really only voting for one person but it's, it's a completely different system to, to for a working politician to work in it is because I noticed an election has just occurred here in one of our provinces and I understand the government may be formed having received 31 or 32 percent of the vote which I know would never happen in well, un, under PR no it, well yes and no when you when you say if you look well, at our, if you look at the the the, the current of the current government Fine Gael were the largest power party with 30 odd percent um, and with the facilitation of my party Fianna Fáil they're actually running the government yes (laughs) but in traditional sense where a coalition would be uh, formed in general um, the coalition government would have 50% or more of the popular vote as well as 50% or more of the number of seats right right. Um, you uh, are involved or a part of your responsibility is housing and housing uh, everybody who is Irish whether they be at home or abroad is is very conscious of the crisis um, that exists now in Ireland and I'm going to toss it to you this way as an as a an, uh, uh, member of the diaspora I've always couldn't figure out how um, here for example our housing prices have some connection to our salaries whereas in Ireland it seems that they've lost the relationship and that would appear in some way to contribute to some of the problem in addition to the growth and the job growth and a whole variety of things without getting into partisan politics and and looking at it as a global problem can you see a solution within five years? I can see a significant improvement. No, I don't see the the problem being solved in five years. And the reason I say that is, um, when we talk about housing, particularly in Ireland at the moment, and it's it's primarily a Dublin problem. Now, it exists in other cities, but not to the same scale. Mm -hmm. Um, And certainly in rural Ireland, there isn't a shortage uh, of houses in many of the towns around the country. But in Dublin in particular, and some of the other cities, there is a shortage. And... 
there are no quick fixes we need to construct more houses across all elements it's not just social housing it's private housing mm -hmm. for first time buyers and in Dublin the real challenge is affordable housing mm -hmm. and by that I mean a couple who are working who are a nurse and a teacher or a guard or whatever you know that type of professional that they should be able to afford it uh, because of the economic crash we had uh, central bank are very very strict on the guidelines so the maximum loan somebody can borrow is three and a half times the combined salary mm -hmm. that's that enables them to purchase what they can purchase. The reality is, in Dublin, that's not allowing them to purchase. Uh, prices are too high, and that's why we need affordable housing. But there is a dynamic in general. Like, the population has gone up significantly, mm -hmm. hundreds of thousands over the last five years. That's the first thing. Secondly, we're living older and longer. And that's a, a dynamic in terms of the type of household we need. Like, my mother, I grew up in a very busy house, uh, where we always had relatives, were, you know, living with us, and uh, my mother came from a family of 13 and we extended the house and my grandmother lived there and my cousins living there my mother now lives in that house on her own one mm -hmm. person mm -hmm. so you have that shift where we have older people living in what would be viewed as family type accommodation they might necessarily need it uh, if you went back 20 or 30 years ago we didn't have divorce we didn't have family breakup in the same numbers as we have now so we have multiple units of accommodation uh, we have lone parents with children so we need a diverse range of accommodation that if you go back and look at the houses built in the 1960s, uh, if there were private houses or local authority houses, they tend to be three bed, mm -hmm. either semi-Ds or terrace blocks or whatever. Okay, there were a few blocks of flats and apartments, but that model, that model is no longer appropriate. So there's a huge construction uh, required in terms of number of units, and while increased planning, uh, you know, we can see the plans going through is happening at the moment and there are, is indications that there are increased commencements um, it will take more than five years uh, to, to solve and I don't think everybody wants it solved immediately but they want the piece that is most visible there are in Ireland at the moment approximately 10,000 people who are deemed as homeless and by homeless that means that when they get up today they don't know where they're staying mm -hmm. tonight mm -hmm. some of them are staying in hotels mm -hmm. bed and breakfast type guest house accommodation or hostels uh, and the problem with that is that you know when they get up they have no certainty where they're going they have no means of looking after children during the day homework social activities um, so they have become the priority that that accommodation would be provided the people who are now homeless would be in regular type housing accommodation so it is a big challenge because uh, year on year the population is still increasing uh, so it's not just meeting current demand it's current demand it's the, the people who are technically deemed homeless at the moment the people who are homeless uh, the people who uh, are coming into the market so we need a substantial construction program over the next 10 years to, right. to address this significantly um, we mentioned seat earlier on and, and um, I would say the Canadian government has certainly been very strong in making us aware of it mm -hmm. um, would you say that the Irish population not politics, politicians, but the Irish population understand that this is in place and the, the potential benefits to it. I, yeah, I suppose for a lot of people they may not be particularly aware um, of CETA as a, you know, as an agreement and the, the working and the operation of it, uh, primarily because I suppose uh, from an Irish point of view an awful lot of our focus is 
on Europe. Mm -hmm. uh, we're part of, instead of being a small island operating on our own, we're now part of this big club. Uh, and uh, you know, in terms of exports and our business, very focused. Uh, certainly, the business community would be quite well aware of CETA, mm -hmm. and I suppose looking at future opportunities and potential. Um, and as the business becomes aware of it, and as business secures contracts and increases business as a result of CETA, mm -hmm. uh, employees and the public will also become more aware of it. Uh, and I think it, I think it requires. Um, that type of tangible effect before the public will fully understand it. People, people have read about it. And they, mm -hmm. they understand it in, in, I suppose, that concept, but they haven't maybe necessarily experienced what CETA is going to be about. Um, I've deliberately avoided going near Brexit because I know it's complex and I know it's um, uh, an area that um, there's a lot has yet to be figured out and nobody really knows the answer and, and it's going to have implications on everybody and I've I haven't gone near the recent referendum we all know what the results were so we, uh, it's now a closed book but um, over the last three or four years particularly um, the tide the, 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 I think the bottom has been hit and there, there's a noticeable change in Ireland one of the accusations I suppose I was hearing for a, a while and, uh, when I would go home was that um, there were a lot of people, there was a lot of talk about recovery and there was a lot of people saying well where is it? I don't experience it. Has it started to trickle down? It has and there's no question that um, we have record number of people in work um, but not all people are being treated and are feeling it equally um, <laughs> so you know we have casual contracts, we have people who aren't working 40 hours a week but they're deemed to be in employment, we have people who are on low wages and all of that. Yeah. So not everybody is feeling the benefits of uh, the recovery, the, but certainly some people are. The problem is for people who are new to the workforce, who are trying to get on the property ladder and while they may have good jobs and they may have secure and permanent jobs, they still can't afford to buy their house. Right. So, you know, the economy running well on its own isn't enough right. if you can't get the other necessities of life. And, and that's the real challenge. Uh, but certainly in terms of, you know, the, the big measurable figures, the growth in the economy, the reduction in the national debt, the balancing of the budget, the number of people in work, they're all positive, absolutely. Right. But not everybody feels that. And that, that uh, as I say, isn't just about, you know, are they making enough to, you know, feed the family and whatever. It's gone beyond it. It's primarily, are they able to afford a house? Are they able to, you know, we have people paying rent for accommodation, which would be greater than a mortgage if they could get a mortgage. Yeah. Uh, so, while the economy has recovered, uh, and certainly it hasn't had the benefit that everybody would like to feel from it. Obviously, if you're an older person and you've had paid, you have a house and you've paid a mortgage, uh, and you're seeing a modest pay increase or something like that, yeah, yeah, you're feeling it because inflation is still very, very low. Right. Uh, you can see it. So, some as people, as some long, really, as long as you're not in debt, as long as you're not in debt and uh, and uh, you have a house, yeah, the accommodation is really the key for people. Um, and having a house really means if you can own your own home, because if you're renting, certainly in the Dublin area, the rent would be higher than, than what the 
mortgage would have cost. Right. Yeah. Right. Deputy, I've probably taken enough of your time because I know you guys are busy when you're on a trip like this, and I want to thank you for taking the time. It's really been good chatting with you. And uh, awesome. it, was, it was lovely to have a chat with you too. Um, great opportunity to sit back and have a cup of coffee in the middle of the, a busy schedule. <laughs> uh, but it was lovely to meet you, Austin. And at some stage in the future, I do want to arrange something, and I'll, I'll uh, work it through the embassy here where um, I can get uh, members from potentially each party to talk about PR because I would like to get the thoughts on um, the nuances of it uh, because in th even Irish Canadians at this stage a lot of them would not understand the nuances and given that it's a topic that is relatively I think the relevance of that Austin is y you need to explain how the system works exactly it is, it is complicated yes and for most people in Ireland until they've actually seen it's easy to go and vote because yes. the ballot paper's there you just put the numbers yeah. but until you've gone to account and you've seen the votes redistributed yeah. either somebody's elimination or somebody's surplus it's only at that stage you realise where your vote is actually going right. uh, and as I said earlier Austin the outcome of it is different because you now have three, four or five members of parliament in the one constituency yeah. uh, you know, watching each other exactly. as, as much as anything else as I said thanks a million indeed thank you Austin